Welcome to Directly from the Source, a Chandler podcast where we share insights about Chandler and explore issues impacting our community with the experts addressing them. I'm your host, Matt Burdick. Thanks for tapping in today as we talk about some new developments in our fire department. Joining me today are a couple of special guests, Fire Chief Tom Dwiggins and Assistant Chief Keith Hargis. Guys, thanks for being here. No problem. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, so let's let's talk a little bit about yourselves and talk about the fire department. Uh, Tom, I'll start with you. You know, you're our fire chief. How long have you been in Chandler? And give people a little bit of background about yourself. Sure. So uh, I have been a firefighter with the city of Chandler for just over 24 years now. I've been the fire chief for 500 years. I mean, six years. <laughs> Feels like 500 years. And I, I got to be honest with you. I tell people this all the time, and it's the truth is I can remember the first day I showed up. I remember the first day getting ready to show up to work. And I remember how proud I was of putting on the uniform. And here, 24 and a half years later, it's the same thing. I I absolutely love working for the fire department, specifically Chandler Fire Department. And I love serving this this city and this community. It's a it's a great community. We are blessed in Chandler with so much support from our from our citizens and from our business. Uh, So it's it really is a true honor to be here. Keith, how about you? So uh, I've been with Chandler Fire for 21 years. AC, as long as Tom's been the chief, uh, we both got promoted up ranks at the same time. Uh, He promoted me to assistant chief. So a little about me, uh, Chandler native, a couple generations Chandler native. Tom's family is actually from Chandler as well. So we're kind of the rare, uh, a rare commodity here, but um, uh, agree, you know, been part of this department for a long time. My my stepfather just retired. He was a Chandler firefighter as well. And it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of history. It's a lot of pride that goes into being part of this, this community. We live in Chandler now. My kids grow up here. My parents live here. All my friends live here. So um, this community is special to, to me and it's special to all of us. And this job is, is the same. You know, it's something that we take a lot of pride in. So Absolutely. we're excited to be here and, and talk about it. Well, that's awesome for our residents to know that, like you say, that both of you have that longevity and your families are here to have a couple of homegrown people that are here serving our community in the capacity in which you do. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the fire department. There's a lot of different ways that the fire department serves Chandler. So I'll let you elaborate a little bit on a few of the things that maybe our residents don't don't necessarily think about. Sure. So Matt, I'm sure, you know, as people are listening to this podcast, the most obvious is our response. And, and we do respond to just under 30,000 calls per year. Uh, we're a very busy fire department. We respond out of 11 fire stations. What's interesting is the diversity of calls that we respond on. And, you know, when you think fire department, you probably think about fires. And obviously that is uh, one of our major responses. But we also respond to medical calls. And every one of our firefighters is at a minimum an EMT or a paramedic. And the majority, I would say the vast majority of our calls are medical calls in nature. And so uh, we have a very robust medical response. And it's something that I think, Keith, you'd agree that we're very proud of. We, I think yep. we have a reputation in the Valley of, of having really good paramedics and really good EMTs. And so, uh, you know, that's, that is a very big part of our response. Addition to that, if you look around in Chandler, we have big industry. We have two specialized teams, a hazmat team, and they respond to all of our hazmat incidents. Could be as simple as a natural gas leak to as complex as a chemical spill. And then we have a technical rescue team. And the technical rescue team, that's really a team that looks at a lot of different uh, responses from a confined space. So someone falls down, which we actually have 
I think it happened about a year ago, an individual fell down a drain pretty deep, like I think it was 20 feet. And so that team is equipped to pull that person out. They do swift water rescue. Well, we don't have a lot of swift water, but we do have canals. Just this last week, we had a car drive into a canal, so they had to pull them out. They work with collapse. We've seen building collapses. We had an explosion in, in West Chandler where it was a, a really high stressful incident where that team gets engaged. And there's various other things that they do. But, you know, overall, you know, when we look at what the fire department does, we think response, we think fire, we think EMS. We have these special disciplines, which is the hazmat and TRT. But I always say as a fire chief, our best efforts shouldn't be in responding to emergencies. It should be in preventing emergencies. And so on the other side of our house, we have a very engaged uh, public outreach group. We are in, and I believe it's every second and third grade class in the city of Chandler. That's Chandler Unified School District, Mesa, Kyrene, anyone that has a school in Chandler, mm -hmm. we have a presence in that school. And uh, we do fire safety classes. We talk about calling 911. We talk about what to do when a smoke detector goes off. And so we spend a lot of time with the kids, engaging them and talking about as simple as not playing with matches or a lighter. Mm -hmm. uh, I can tell you, I was the PIO probably 10 years ago. And I remember going to a house fire right down the road from where, where we're recording this. And uh, it was a, a small child, I believe it was a second grader, who took a lighter and lit the couch on fire and the whole house caught on fire. And I remember seeing that family and they were happy that everybody was out and nobody was hurt, but they just lost everything they owned. And I remember that feeling of it was so preventable because of a, it was a lighter. It was a lighter that was left out and that was a kid that he's a good kid. He just didn't know what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And so we got engaged uh, with the school district and we put together a curriculum. We worked with the principals and the teachers and we have a really good fire safety program now. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, uh, we're still a couple generations away we're, uh, from where we really see that paying off. But, you know, it is something that we're very proud of. We have a lot of different things that we do. Our fire prevention team, which really works with fire code. And that's, you know, when we build buildings, we want to make sure that the buildings are built so that they're safe, not only for the occupants, but for our firefighters so that when they are on fire, the systems are in place. And so I know most people, I did too as a kid when I wanted to be a firefighter, all I thought about was a fire truck and, mm -hmm. and lights and sirens. Uh, but there, there really is so much more to that. We're part of the emergency management of the city. And, you know, it's something that we're, we're extremely proud of. That's awesome. Thanks, Chief. Keith. I'll ask you to explain a little bit because this is relevant to the topic we're going to delve into in just a second. The automatic aid agreement among Valley uh, Fire Departments. Can you explain that for residents so they understand that they may see other fire departments in our city responding to calls and how that comes about? Yeah, I mean, it is it is really a unique environment that we have here in the Phoenix Metroplex. And actually, Chief Dwiggin sits on a group of fire chiefs in the region that actually manage this automatic aid agreement. I believe we're 20 plus, 26 somewhere in that range, um, different agencies, you know, they're tribal, uh, are part of these groups, fire districts, uh, municipalities. And basically what we run here is a, is a borderless system. So every vehicle is GPS located. Every vehicle has capabilities associated with it. So if there's a heart attack that kicks out, the closest vehicle that has the resources that can address it, that has a paramedic on board and has the equipment, goes. It doesn't matter what city that unit is from, and it really helps us share resources. It is incredibly efficient. Um, and the number of resources that would take to 
serve the city of Chandler, if we stood alone without our partners leveraging each other, is crazy. It's really a cutting edge system of how we share resources. It really saves the taxpayers a lot of money in all the cities. And then also, you know, some of the challenges are we have to work in a team. You know, we can't make decisions in a silo. Chief can't just do anything he wants to do because we share resources. So we need consistency. So it takes a lot of communication. Um, and that I think is difficult sometimes, but also it's created a lot of relationships with the other departments in the region. We work so closely together. We train together. We run calls together. We have big committees together. And that really helps us function on those big incidents. When we have a, a Tempe truck and a Phoenix truck and two from Mesa and one from Gilbert and six from Chandler, we all talk the same language. We operate the same. Anybody could take command. We could work under a Gilbert battalion chief. We could be commanding Tempe units. It it flows, and so it's it's really it's a unique system, and it's a huge benefit for our community. Yeah, and if, and if I could add to that, I think one thing that's that's really important to understand is that with all of these fire departments that are within this system, we go through the same training. Mm-hmm. We have the same training. We speak the same language. We deliver care the same way, and that's important to us because at the the reality of of all of this is Matt, if you're having a heart attack and you call nine one one. Do you really care what the name is on the truck or do you just want four people there as fast as they can get there that are well-trained and ready to serve you? And, and I think I know the answer to that. And so that's what the system brings us is that if you are on the border between Tempe and Chandler and you get into a car accident, you need help and you need help right away. In most systems, what they would do is they would take the closest Chandler unit. Well, the closest Chandler unit might be seven minutes away because maybe there's other calls in the area, but there's a Tempe unit just three minutes away. It's just a better system that we get the the truck that's closest. At the end of the day, the customer or the person calling 911, they're the winners in this deal because they get the fastest, most effective response, and that's what they need. We have a phenomenal public safety training center. I'll let either one of you tackle that to just elaborate about all the the great resources that you have at your disposal to train firefighters, paramedics, and all the, the response units that are called out. We do. We we have been very blessed. We've had uh, great city councils that have showed us a ton of support. And we have a huge training center, a, a public safety training center, that's both for the police department and the fire department. But our ability to, to create real-world scenarios that are training, but they feel real world at that facility is second to none. We want to replicate what these firefighters are going to see, whether it's in a fire situation, a technical rescue, or a hazmat. We want to get it to as close as real so that that we can work through issues, right? It's better to figure out the gaps in our system or in our service through training than it is on an actual incident. And so we have burn props, we have basements that we can go into and start fires. We have an elevated structure that's five stories that we can repel off of. We've got the big gas tanks that we can practice hazmat calls on. We actually have a semi-truck out there. And so we will we will literally lift up the back of the semi-truck and put a car underneath it so that they can practice extricating. And it, it's great for us, it's great for our crews because one, it, it shows us again, maybe where you know we need to train more. Two, it shows us where we're proficient. 
Three, it helps us understand the complexities of response and how we can leverage technology, equipment, whatever, to, to make our response better. And we also do all of our EMS training out there, our medical training. We have a whole team dedicated to that. One thing you figure out really quick, and if you're in the medical field, you know this, it changes. Every few months, it feels like there's a new drug that we can give our patients. There's a new piece of equipment. There's a new protocol. And we have really good relationships with Chandler Regional Hospital, where our base medical director works. But we are constantly, in fact, right now, as we speak, I promise you there's two trucks down there that are either in EMS training or in fire training. I've said this before, we don't get to pick when we are called and we don't get to pick what type of calls we're responding to. What we do get to pick is how prepared we are. And that is where we focus our efforts. Yeah, and I'll share just really quick personal experience. I uh, got a chance at the Public Safety Training Center to just experience what you guys go through. You threw the gear on me, put me on the end of, end of a probably a garden hose by comparison <laughs> to what you deal with. It was humbling. Yeah. I mean, that gear is hot and heavy yeah. and the weight and all the things and, and be able to sustain that over the span of responding to a call. Sometimes you're out there for hours. Obviously, we had an extended hazmat incident in West Chandler. You guys were out there for weeks. Weeks, <laughs> weeks yeah. Weeks. So it was uh, just a humbling experience to be able to see what you guys go through to prepare, like you say, for all of these different scenarios because, you, like you said, you never know what that when that call right. comes in. In a lot of professions, uh, you know, whether you're going to a big meeting or you're trying to understand a problem, you know, wh what do we do? We have, we have a problem. Let's call a meeting. Let's get the experts in here. Let's try to think about the solutions. Our firefighters get five minutes, uh, essentially come up with a solution to a problem that they don't even know what it is. Once they get on scene, they have about 30 seconds to make some really critical decisions and then move forward. So it is a very rewarding career, but it's a tough career. Yeah, one thing too to touch on that is a lot of our, our listeners probably don't know is that we train, we have a regional training center in Chandler. So we actually are responsible for training surrounding departments. Um, so we host training. We do all of the fire training for Maricopa, for Sun Lakes, Gila River. And then we have partnerships where we train all the time. And, and we do come up with some good stuff, a funny story. And Tom and I were out at training um, one of the ones we came up with is we fabricated the shell of a car, got the pool from Hamilton and threw it in the water 10 feet deep with a mannequin. And our crew showed up with no idea. And we're like, somebody's in the pool, figure it out, you know? And they're like, I, I thought we were coming for fire training. Well, it's water training today. So, you know, grab your gear. And those are the types of things that we can, you know, that we just come up with that are creative, but you know, we have community lakes and, you know, we see a call kick out and we're like, we need to train on that. We need to get our people ready for that. And it's just cool to have that ability to do that and uh, to have the freedom to be as diabolical as possible to really challenge our people. Because that's where you want to feel uncomfortable, right? It's like, training. Uh, I was right. not ready for that at training, right? Yeah. And it's a blast. What Keith didn't say is we just wanted to swim. Yeah, we did. Like, we wanted we did to play water basketball and stuff like that. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, so we're, we've got a big project that's coming up here. Our busiest fire station in the city is going to go through a, a reconstruction process. So let's get into that a little bit and the details associated with that. What are we going to be seeing and, and how did this whole thing come about? Really the catalyst for, uh, for this reconstruction project is uh, response times. And we have seen for over a decade that that area, almost School and Warner, where Fire Station 2 is, the area that they serve we call District 2. And it has been growing year over year by anywhere from 3% one year to 8% the next year. And so we've seen an increased uh, call volume. Uh, we projected this out. You know, we went through an accreditation process 
where we actually we look at all of the data so we can get and you know all the way down to a specific neighborhood or block to understand what the risk is within that community and we could see that station two has a lot of risk or district two they have a lot of incidents and we don't have a lot of resources there and so we went to uh, we went to the bond committee uh, as you know we had a bond election and we submitted a proposal to basically demolish fire station two where it sits today and build a new station two with the capacity to hold additional units. The goal is is to start construction here soon and to take it from a fire station that can hold right now one engine company, so that's an that's a four person company that responds to all hazards and one ambulance. What we want to do is have two engine companies, an ambulance, and then what we call a low acuity unit, which is a smaller unit with two people in it that can respond. In order to do that, obviously we have to have uh, bigger sleeping quarters, more bathrooms. We call them the bays, but it's essentially the garage that the trucks go into. We have to add two of those as well. And so that that's that is the genesis for this move is is to ensure that we're getting more resources in there. One thing, Matt, and I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to simplify this, but let's say hypothetically that Keith's sitting next to me. I know he's very healthy, but let's say that he's having chest pain and he calls 911 and he is right around the corner from fire station two. We are going to drop everything we're doing and we're going to respond to his house. But let's say that while that crew is on scene treating Keith for his heart attack, Mrs. Smith, who's right around the corner from fire station two, is having difficulty breathing and needs paramedics. Where does that next resource come from? Well, right now it comes from either another Chandler fire station, which is in a completely separate district, or as we talked about with the automatic gate system, it's coming from Mesa, it's coming from Tempe, or it's coming from Gilbert, which is a great thing to happen. The problem is, is that every fire station is built to sit in the center of its response district. And the very far end of its district is five minutes out. We try to get to every call within five minutes. That's our response time. The reason we do that is because we know if you're having a heart attack after five minutes, your chances of survival or your chances of a, a good lifestyle post heart attack start to decrease significantly. Same with strokes, house fire. We know for every like 30 seconds that we don't put water on the fire, that fire is going to double. So we work in a system where time is so critical and our response times are so important. 30 seconds makes a huge difference, whether it's a medical call or a fire call. If that second 911 call comes in, we need to pull a truck out of Mesa, Gilbert, Tempe, or another Chandler fire station. We know on average that it could be anywhere up to two minutes in additional time that they're gonna need to respond. When we are done with this project and we're ready to respond, we know immediately we are going to make a difference in North Chandler. Without a doubt, our, our highest service demand area, you are gonna see an immediate difference where our response times drop. And, and so for us, it, it's completely worth it. To make a bigger station, because that station was built, like I said, 1986, who would have thought in 1986, I lived in Chandler in 1986, who would have thought it would be 300,000 people like it is now, right? There was 80,000 people in Chandler in 1986. There's 50,000 people that live in District 2 right now. So in order to get a bigger station, we need a little more land. But as part of that, so we're going to come onto the basin a little bit, but we're also going to remodel that basin and increase the capacity by 75%. So when there is those huge storms like we had in 2014, 
those neighborhoods don't flood and the road can stay open. So it's actually a two-part project. So the first component of the project is actually to regrade that basin, clean that out. There's river rocks in there, stuff like that. We have to build a temporary road because our, our fire trucks have to change direction. So we have to stay operational to Chief's point, right? We can't have all the calls to our busiest area of our city in North Chandler. We can't have all those responses coming from our other districts. We cannot shut that station down. We are 24-7, 365, and we have to stay that way. So we have to be really creative, and we've spent a lot of time planning and designing how are we going to keep that station operational while we're building a new station right in front of it, right next door. It's eight feet away. We're thinking the construction is going to be about 14 months long. Depends on what we find. That station, um, you know, should progress. You're going to see us going concrete and vertical in the fall, like October probably, we'll be scheduled to start laying the pad and, and doing some stuff that the community can actually see, which is going to be really exciting. Our goal is to move an engine company from Fire Station 8 to Station 2. So currently Fire Station 8 has an engine and a ladder company. All of the uh, resources that we'll put in that station are existing. It's it's really just the building. Our thought is as soon as as soon as the station's done, those firefighters from eight will pack up their stuff and they'll they'll move it over to station two, and then they'll be deployed out of there from now on. Okay. And another part, and I'll ask mm-hmm. Keith if you want to touch on this. Another part of improving the facility, there's a lot of exposure that people may not think about to our firefighters, specifically yeah. to carcinogens. So, what are some of the elements that are being put in place to protect? our firefighters from some of that exposure. Yeah, I mean, that's a really great point. And Chief and I spend a lot of time on cancer prevention. It's a big deal for firefighters. Um, What we're finding is the risk for cancer has become profound and we're understanding it more. But now uh, cancer is the number one cause of death for firefighters. It's not cardiac arrest anymore, which it used to be from getting woken up from the tones and the stress and all that. Cancer has now overrun cardiac arrest for firefighters as risk because we're exposed to so many chemicals. And station two, back in the 80s, we didn't understand that. So for example, the door that comes from the apparatus bay where the vehicles exhaust and we have our turnouts that off gas chemicals, that door opens right into our kitchen where we prepare our food and where we stay all the time. The other door from the bay opens into our bedrooms where we sleep. And that's how we can get in and out of the station. And what we found is that that's not really a real good design for the health of our people. Um, So with station two, rebuilding the station, not only can we bring more resources there, but we can actually incorporate some design features that really help protect our living space for for our firefighters, which is important. You know, we have what the newer stations have is called a transition room. So it's actually a, a room that has higher atmospheric pressure than the bay and the living quarters so that it pushes out air from the bay. So when you open up the bay, you come into a transition room. It doesn't let air come in from the bay. You can work in there. It's air conditioned. We check off our equipment. We keep our medications in there and stuff like that. And then you enter into the living quarters. And we found that simple designs like that are really uh, effective. We have our turnouts in different areas now. They have constant off-gassing pumps. You know, we're just going to have the ability to make a, a safer, cleaner work environment. And so we try to really be thoughtful and deliberate about what kind of a station we design and how that impacts our, our people where they're working. Got it. And we've got a couple of resources where if people want to go and, and look at some renderings of the new station, some videos, go to chandleraz.gov slash firestation2 and check out some of the details on that. Let's talk a little bit about a day in the life. What's a day in the life of a Chandler firefighter like? Not us, because that would be boring. <laughs> <laughs> Not a fire chief, right? Not a fire chief. A firefighter, the frontline staff. Well, uh, so 
when we think about a day in the life, um, what you have to understand is that it's a difficult job. And so the day actually starts the night before. And we expect our firefighters, when they come to work, they work a 48-hour shift, that they're uh, well-rested, that they're hydrated, especially during the summertime, and that they're focused. And so uh, they usually arrive uh, to the fire station in the morning. They put whatever stuff they bring into their, their bunk room, but then they're they're probably out there looking over the truck. So we, our truck, all of our equipment has to be checked off every day. We have to go through it. We have to make sure that the jaws of life are functioning properly, that all the medications that we can give out to you are in there and they're not expired that our heart defibrillator is working and that the batteries are all charged, that the pump on the fire truck is working. And so we can spend an hour just going through all of the equipments, making sure that everything is checked off. We do a lot of preventative maintenance. Maybe, you know, in the morning we're, we're working on the truck, we're working on equipment. And then at some point uh, we have a captain who's in charge of every truck. They'll establish what we call the plan of the day it would probably incorporate some type of training, uh, maybe some type of self-study. Maybe there's something from an administrative perspective that needs to be done. They might go walk through businesses, right, to see what type of systems are in the business or even drive neighborhoods just to understand the neighborhoods and the complexity of neighborhoods. And so it, it's really up to that captain and they, they vary their plan of the day based on their crew. Right now we have a lot of young firefighters. They need training. And so they'll be spending time training them. We have a lot of people that are in promotional processes. And so they'll spend time developing their engineer who's going to be the next captain or the firefighter who's going to be the next paramedic. So there's just a lot of things that, you know, that that plan of the day can look like. And that's going to span over two days. Obviously, they have to get food at some point, and we do shop at grocery stores. People always ask, is the city paying for that? No, uh, the firefighters are paying for it. But uh, we don't like to eat out a lot because anytime you leave the station, you're no longer in the center of your district. And so we try to stay at the station when we can because from a strategic standpoint, it's the best place to be if a call kicks out to ensure 360 degrees, your full district is covered. You know, obviously, uh, you have no say on what's actually going to happen. It's just a plan, but then 911 calls start coming in. And so maybe your goal was to go shop for lunch and dinner, and now it's 7 p.m., and you're like, we haven't even sat down yet, mm -hmm. which is what we enjoy about the job, right? You, like I said earlier, you don't get to pick. You don't get to pick what's no going on. No day's the same. Right. You know, I would say the, the majority of our day is, they're busy. They're busy stations, so they're running a lot of calls. It seems like we always have some type of training going on, whether it's scheduled at the training center or it's not scheduled, it's just in-house. Physical fitness, we require that all firefighters, they have to take two different types of physicals each year that they have to pass to be on a fire truck. There is an hour set aside for them to work out. And that's really, you know, that is what a regular day looks like. At night, I would say after seven or eight, we start to wind down. And that is a time where you'll see the people that are taking a promotional test, they'll be back in their bunk and they'll be studying. And then at some point we try to get sleep now we're 24 7 uh, some stations that might be possible where you might only have one or two calls some stations there's just no purpose in making your bed because you're going to be you're going to be up running calls and it really depends on where you're at no matter what's going on in my life from a fire chief's world I'm always reset when I go on that call because I see the service that they provide the way that they treat people 
not only in the way that they provide treatment, how they make them feel is just unbelievable. Uh, And those soft skills is really sometimes the most important thing that we are blessed as a part of the senior leadership to lead a group of professionals who just get it. They just get it. They know uh, they know why they exist, and they exist to serve others. And they do they do an amazing job. Now, I have not worked in a fire station. That was the day in the life over a decade, but same. I'm pretty sure it's pretty much the same. And I'm sure I'm missing a lot of details. Thank you, Chief. Fire cadet program. So, if folks want to get exposure to careers in the fire department, what types of things does the cadet program provide them? Our cadet program, it actually mimics what our fire academy looks like. And so we have a group of cadet advisors, which are captains, engineers, firefighters from our department, that will spend one night a week, and I believe a Saturday, with a group of individuals to essentially show them what the job is all about. It can be training on fire ground scenarios, it could be EMS scenarios, but the overall goal is really to help them understand what this career is all about. Like I said, most of our firefighters, when we hire them, they stay for 25 to 30 years. And it's so important to us that if you're going to make that commitment, and if the city is going to make that commitment and investing in you, that you know that it's a right fit. And, and I've seen in the past where people, maybe it's the cadet program, maybe it's a ride along that they do. And they're like, this is what I want. I want to be a firefighter. I know it's my life. And they do one ride along or they do a couple weeks in the cadet program. And they're like, I don't ever want to do this again. I don't ever want to see that again. And that's okay. I, I think that's okay. Um, because it, it is a very extensive process to get in the fire department and it's extensive on our end to train you. And so uh, the cadet program is great. Not only do you get to see what the job is all about, uh, not only do you get to learn new skills, but you create this group of individuals who are all moving towards the same thing, which is a career in the fire service. And so your networking is outstanding. It's just a, a great support group for people going through this. Most people, it takes two to three, sometimes four years to get hired. And that can be tough. That's a lot of rejection. And then obviously there's a, you have a lot of people that go through a career change. Yes. Maybe talk about that in terms of those professionals that decide to to make a career change and go into the fire service. One of the things that we love about uh, the fire service is it attracts a very diverse group of people. You could have 10 brand new recruits that were hiring. One worked in the business world. One was, uh, you know, worked in construction. One worked from there in the hospital as an RN. One was a professional athlete. And you just get this diverse group. That's good for us because we have a very diverse community and the problems that we are given are very diverse in nature. And so I'm not saying our people are tools, but we say that we want a big toolbox, right? And you never know like what your life experience, your past experience, how it can contribute to helping us find a solution to whatever, whoever called us, whatever they need, we can bring that out of people. Also, I'll be honest with you, sometimes they are the recipient of our services and they they know how they felt when we walked in and maybe we took care of them maybe we took care of their parents and immediately they see that and there's a connection that happens and they want to be a part of it and so they start asking questions 
And then before you know it, they come down that path. And so we love people with diverse backgrounds. We don't care what you did before. We will find a path for you to to be part of our organization or part of the fire service. And and we really believe that the more diverse we are, the more that, that we can contribute to whatever the issues are that we're having. Any closing comments for you all? Anything? I know we were coming on the heels of Drowning Impact Awareness Month. So anything in terms of message for the community that you want to put out there? Drowning, I'm glad you brought that up, Matt. Your team has helped us out for, for as long as I can remember. Every year we do this. It is no secret we live in Arizona. And we know, you know, the message is watch your kids around water. You know, get swim lessons, uh, learn CPR. But every year we have drownings. And this year has been a tough year for us, for, for the city of Chandler. But I can't stress enough. I've been on a drowning and it is the most helpless feeling. It can be very difficult to bring them back. And even if you do bring them back, their lifestyle may have changed forever. It's so preventable yet uh, we see them every year. Our message would be to watch your kids around water. We think about it in the summertime, but we see drownings in the winter as well. Get a pool fence, put some type of barrier between the pool and where your kids are. Get them swim lessons so that if something does happen, they know how to swim. And I, I think it resonates with a lot of people, but you know, life, life happens. Oh, and one other thing that we constantly talk about, it's drowning prevention and what you can do in your home for fire prevention. And that's check your smoke detectors. So many times we go out and they're not functioning. The batteries aren't replaced. It's a, it's an easy thing to do. So get up there, test them, replace the nine volt battery on them so that they're working so that your family's alerted. One thing for us, when we show up to a house fire, when everybody meets us at the curb and they say all of my family's out, it gives us so much flexibility on how we can operate on that fire ground versus the opposite somebody is still inside and and that becomes our sole focus Um, we will risk ourselves in very precarious positions to help that person Um, but if they're out and they're safe it gives us so much flexibility in how we operate and the tactics that we can deploy you know with the smoke detector just talk to your family about what do you do if this fire happens just talk about it make a plan where are we going to meet up how are you going to get out how do you work your window those simple conversations that families can have can really make a huge difference if you're unlucky enough to have that that event happen in your house so that's a great point you can always like i say you can replace a structure you can't replace a person that's right and 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 i just to add on to that well we have a seniors helping seniors smoke detector program in the chandler fire department where if it's you listening to this podcast or maybe it's your parents uh, that live in chandler and you you need their smoke detector checked you can call our headquarters and we will set up an appointment and they'll go out and if it needs to be replaced they'll actually replace it and put a battery in for you and another key point if you're if you're not able to physically get on the ladder don't do it yes but we oh. keep smoke detectors <laughs> on the truck so as we're treating you we'll, we'll go up and change your smoke detector as well <laughs> Uh, Thanks for going beyond the headlines and hearsay to learn about Chandler's Fire Service directly from the source. And make sure to check out the Voices of Chandler podcast as they drop new episodes each month that share Chandler stories. Tom, Keith, thank you for being here today. And for you, you. again, listeners, we'll catch you next time.